0: Welcome to The Athletic Mind, your go-to podcast for maximizing your mental game. I'm your host, Taylor Cook, a mental performance coach and a former professional hockey goalie. Join me for open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Whether you're an athlete or coach, you'll discover a wealth of tools, resources, and insights designed to transform the way you play and lead. Let's get into it. Hello everybody, welcome back to another week, another episode of the Athletic Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Cook, and this episode's pre-game warm-up walkthrough is going to be really quick because I'm joined by a special guest today and I want to make sure that we jump right into it. So, as always, if you have not left a rating and review for the podcast, whether you are a long-time listener or a new listener, whether you listen on Apple or Spotify, it does not matter, please please take a minute of your time to go ahead and leave the rating or review. This really does help the podcast grow and reach new listeners just like you. And that is my entire mission with this podcast is to be able to help athletes and coaches reach that next level. And, and as I mentioned before on previous episodes, um, working on getting more active on social and engaging with all of you listeners. So if you do not already follow my personal account, uh, please do so. You can do that by following at Taylor B cook underscore on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, I'm going to be removing the athletic mind pod Instagram. It's just way too much to be able to be posting on multiple different channels when I can just post everything through one and make my life easier. And yes, Next on the list is the group coaching and accountability program. So this is going to be a three month program with biweekly group coaching and accountability calls with athletes and coaches where you can learn mental coaching strategies to improve your performance, work on goal setting and progress tracking, discuss hot topics and have a very positive and supportive space to get advice from others and also to be able to support other people as well. So if this is something that you would be interested in, please kindly send me a message on Instagram or on LinkedIn. You can find both of those down in the show notes below. And lastly, if you are an athlete and you want to step up your game, or if you are a coach that wants to improve the experience that you are providing for your athletes, you can learn more by going to my website, www.taylor-minds.com. You can see the show notes also for that direct link. And very quickly before getting into the episode with Tom Smalley, I want to leave a disclaimer here to listeners that we are going to be talking about some potentially triggering topics about mental health, specifically around OCD and ADHD. So if this could be a triggering episode for you, please skip it and come back next week or alternatively, please go and take a look at the iocdf.org website for some resources that can help you further welcome back to another episode of the athletic mind i'm your host taylor cook former youth sports professional athlete now a mental performance coach working with athletes and coaches to help them optimize their mental game and i'm super excited to have this guest join us here today because we've i don't know how long we've been like trying to get this on the books but finally it's happened i feel like it's been at least six months if not more so Welcome, Tom Smalley, to the show. A sports performance specialist, all-encompassing for all of the many hats that he wears. So, welcome to the show, Tom.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, the six months is probably my doing. I feel like I've my uh, my different career endeavors and and timelines have been, you know, so busy lately. So, um, so I'm glad we finally were able to to nail down a date and get, um, you know, get this done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as you know, I can relate to like having a <laughs> yeah. crazy schedule and like feeling like you're being pulled in a thousand directions. So no, no issues there. I'm happy we're finally here. So, I mean, let's, uh, get a little bit of a, a introduction here so the listeners can kind yeah. of get to know a bit about you and your background and we can For sure. dive right in.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm a performance specialist. Uh, I own my own business struggle and the strain performance. Um, and then I also am a uh, performance success consultant for Volt Athletics um, as well. So that, uh, uh, you know, I'm able to run my, my, my business on the side and then also be doing work for Volt um, in human performance. Um, I was a college strength coach, you know, through and through for five years, um, worked at four different universities, and then um, was director of health and performance at a private facility for two years, mainly working with, with high-level uh, basketball players and, uh, volleyball players. So, um, you know, been been around, I mean, crazy to say but over a thousand athletes now. And, um, you know, I've worked with a tri- you know, everybody from 10 year olds to, you know, NBA players. And, you know, so it definitely, uh, it's cool to see that range and, and see how to optimize performance and in different areas of, and different time periods of life. Um, And then obviously I am a huge mental health advocate, um, had my own mental health journey, uh, was diagnosed with OCD, um, which is heavily, heavily stigmatized. And um, was diagnosed with OCD when I was 16 years old, uh, went into intensive treatment, um, was suffering from suicidal ideation, and, um, you know, came out from the other side of that and and became a a lead advocate for the International OCD Foundation. Um, So you know, there's a lot of different avenues, like you said, the, the different hats I wear, and a lot of it has been trying to, you know, my main goal in, in my career is to bridge the gap between physical and mental health. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's always been the goal for me, is to, to bridge those two and show the importance of how, how they're, how they're, you know, they're synchronous with the, and synchronized with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And that, that goes without saying, I feel like this is definitely the the place to talk about those <laughs> right exactly things, right like right the mind body connection is real absolutely they impact one another 100 percent. there's no no question about it um but i love the fact that like you have so many things kind of on the go and you have like your own performance business and you're working with another place like where are you actually based out of just so like people have yeah. a, a better understanding
1: yeah right now i'm I'm uh, based out of albany albany new york so um like I mean, I would call it central, but anybody in the city will call it upstate, yeah. um, but Albany, New York right now, um, originally from Connecticut. Uh, actually, I did my undergrad um, in, in psychology at Siena College, and then I got my master's um, in exercise and sports science from Merrimack in Boston, and Siena is in this area, actually, so it was kind of like coming back to an area I was familiar with, mm-hmm. um, and I came back for that that position at, the 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 private facility I was director of so um there's you know I've actually spent seven years a year of my life um you know between undergrad and the past three years so um you know very familiar with the area and it's been good to build those connections but I also am excited to to you know eventually relocate and and grow my business um, elsewhere and try to to take on people from all around the all around the nation you know hopefully outside the nation that's kind of you know i I want to help however many people possible. That's definitely the, the goal. Yeah.
0: Impact. That's what it sounds yeah. like. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: definitely. Very cool. Definitely.
0: Very cool. I mean like you've kind of explained a little bit about like the type of people that you've been working with, where you've been working, but we haven't really mentioned about your own athletic endeavors because there's yeah. some, so let's get into yeah. it a little bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there is. I, I honestly just totally slipped my mind and mentioned that. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I was a football player, um, you know, growing up and and played lacrosse, um, played basketball. And then when my OCD um, really became debilitating and I couldn't leave the house and, um, you know, went into intensive treatment, I had to stop playing and just couldn't compete, um, which was obviously, you know, for a 16-year-old, 17-year-old that wants to play high school sports and wants to be that guy that, that you know, goes to play on to another level um, was really, really uh, devastating for me. And then also, you know seeing athletes take stuff for granted, you know, when I was a college strength coach, like I would have killed to be in their position, you know, competing at that level. Um, you know, and I always preach that like, you know, you have an opportunity. It is so, it is so rare. Right. Um, and I mean, you, you would know Taylor, right? Like you were a professional athlete. Right. So it's like just understanding like the hard work you put in to get there, like use it wisely. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I, I you know, eight years later, um, seven years later, I found, um, kind of just stumbled into the sport of Olympic weightlifting. You know, I'd always trained and you know, I was a strength coach, so I was strong. Um, but Olympic weightlifting is a super technique based sport. Um, it's, uh, it take a thousand reps to really even understand how to, to move your body the way we do. So, um, I was really drawn to it and a coach had found me, um in the area um he had come by my facility just to talk shop and then he was like like what do you do with all your strength and i was like i don't know i just train every day and you know don't have any goals and i just kind of like training and it was kind of like you know that was it i didn't know there was somewhere i could go with it um especially at age 23 you know 24 mm-hmm. um and so he was like you know let me coach you and he was a national level coach and and then he uh he kind of got me started in the sport started competing and then um, he moved out west but then hooked me up with his one of his best friends who's who runs the weightlifting club that i'm a part of now and has been he's sam's been my coach for he was also a national level, level coach um he's been my coach for two years now um and you know this past december we competed nationally for the first time um which was really exciting and Uh, just trying to take it as far as I can possibly take it, but it's been a, it's almost been like a reclamation of my athletic career that I never got to have. Um, Mm -hmm. and so people ask me like, Oh, are you going to go to Olympics? No, you know, I'll compete nationally and it's a high level, but like what Olympians do is like, you know, they're starting when they're age eight, nine or 10. And they're so far ahead of where I like, it's wild to make it to that level. Um, but it is super exciting to, you know, so people will be like why do you take it so seriously um because i love the pursuit of mastery i love the pursuit of of something greater than myself um i love the pursuit of of being of bettering myself and beating my 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 own you know personal best i love the feeling of of competing again that i never got to have right mm-hmm. so it definitely helps um and it drive that that desire for sure
0: wow i'm like this whole thought of <laughs> Of getting into weightlifting at eight years old. That's actually a thing.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So if you go to like um, you know, European countries, Middle Eastern countries, uh, Asia, Asian countries, um, they have a barbell in their hands at eight years old. It's like it's like the equivalent of like how our kids in the US are like playing soccer or um, you know, playing baseball or or, or hockey, right? It's just like it's second nature to them.
0: Right. Yeah, And from I a mean,
1: physiological standpoint, like people think that's dangerous, but it's really not. It's actually super healthy because it's increasing their bone density. It's, it's teaching them, it's improving their mobility and their, and their ability to, to move in and ranges of motion. Like it's super beneficial.
0: Right. See, like, I feel like I've heard probably through like unreliable sources. I don't know. Like you just like read things on the internet, you know, anyway, like about people who get into like those types of sports like weightlifting or crossfit really young like they have yeah. higher chance of injury and they don't really get yeah. to go as far but like that's not the case because you have no it's not
1: and it, that it's 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 good that you bring that up because it's like one of the most um the biggest told myths in performance is that um you know youth athletes shouldn't train and when i say train it doesn't mean i'm throwing a barbell on their back immediately and, you know, crushing them with weight. But if you have a qualified professional, um, that knows how to load correctly and understand movement over, you know, PRs all the time, it is super beneficial for an athlete. And then you take in like the, the plyo aspect of things like, um, tendon health and, and that, and, and jumping and, um, you know, things like that are, are super beneficial to, to athletes health.
0: Okay, yeah because like I know I mean, this is all obviously very different, I think, in in sports like hockey and like right. soccer, but there's some studies that show like specialization, for example. Like when you specialize at a really young age, like yeah, it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna end up making it long term because yeah, you're I'd you're actually putting... argue I'd
1: actually argue that the the athletes I see that specialize early don't make it as far as some of the ones that are multi sport athletes. Mm-hmm. Um like, especially in the US. Um because they a lot of times they just get so burnt out.
0: Well, oh, for sure. I can only And then you're one.
1: and then from a from a physiology standpoint, you're um when you play multiple sports, your your body's preparing for multiple planes of movement, your body's preparing for uh muscles that may not be used as much in other mm-hmm. sports, right? So you're just getting more from your athletic experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was thinking the same because like I've been a goalie for most of my life, like first two years Mm. I was playing as a player, but like I sucked. So I ended up playing in that. And (laughs) and like, I have really bad knees. Now I've had a knee surgery. Mm -hmm. I have like, I don't know, I can't even call it like a good knee. Like I don't even have a good knee anymore. Cause I have one that I've had surgery on. And the other one I have like, um, an exposed nerve on my kneecap. So like, (laughs) there's no winning. Yeah.
1: Just Um, painful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But like, I was also the person who was involved in a lot of different sports when i was younger too so like yeah. any kind of school sports like i was always there doing though was on top of everything with hockey so right. i feel like that definitely kind of made my athletic abilities a bit more varied in that sense where it's yeah, not like you're absolutely. just reusing the same like same, muscle right. groups and movements and kind of yeah. the wear and tear i guess over yeah 100 percent mm-hmm.
1: yeah absolutely Yeah, it makes a huge difference
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and so and I'm sure you... in
1: in hockey you like I mean, I feel like baseball, soccer, and hockey are three sports I see a lot of early specialization in because mm-hmm. like it's almost like you have like the the sport causes you to have to do that because the competition is so high.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and like especially coming from Southern Ontario and Canada, right? That's, that's like a hub of hockey. Whether you're a guy or a girl, like there's so much right. competition there. Um, exactly. So oftentimes you will see, like in hockey, people are specializing earlier. And right. as like a performance coach, like I've had a, quite a few parents come to me, and they're like, you know, like we want our daughter to be more focused. And I'm like, your daughter's 13 years old. Mm, like she right. needs to just enjoy the sport right now. Right. Like don't focus about specializing. Don't like force her to be doing too much either, because you know, like you're gonna burn your kid out. Like it's great for them to be passionate about it. And if they want to be there, like that's great, but they also need to start kind of (sighs) emphasizing the importance of rest. Like rest is a weapon. You need to make sure that you're utilizing that, but also like if you take the fun out of it, no one's gonna wanna keep playing, which is also not a good thing. But if you're also specializing them early, And like, like I said, like this, this person was 13 years old and she already has like ligament issues in her knees, for example. I'm like, that's, that's not a good sign. Like that's wear and tear. We need to be looking at that a little bit more and making sure like you are going to physio, making sure that you're taking the time to rest and recover, not like going from one sport to the next, to the next, to the next, like you're overloading yourself. It's not going to be helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, totally. I mean, it's like, you just don't want to um also it's every every parent thinks their kid's going to be a professional athlete too mm-hmm. and you know the, the reality is it's way more likely that they won't be yeah. and it's not to it's not to dash their dreams or or um you know be a downer but it's like what's the return of investment of of pushing them pushing them pushing them until they have a breaking point just because you think they you know could be a a pro one day you know when mm-hmm. when you can't tell that at age 13
0: no no you can't you really can't like of course you can see the potential that kids right, have. Exactly. Like, that's that's always going to be there especially if you it's not like i hate using the word talent because i don't think that that yeah. should be applicable especially for kids at a younger age right um, and like there's studies that show why you shouldn't be telling kids that they're talented at things yeah. because it takes away from the effort and the work level that gets put into things but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Like the whole, the whole specialization at a young age and, and it just, it's not talked about enough. I don't think.
1: No, it's not. It's not. Um, yeah, it's really not. And I think it could save a lot of kids athletic careers. If like it was, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the more informed, and I think parents need to be more informed too. Actually, now that I think about 100%. it, like of course you want your kid to be the best and to like have the best, and like that's just like every parent yeah. I think. Um, yeah. But... Well, in the
1: U.S., like I have a problem with the way a lot of you know because I work with so many high school athletes right now, and I have a such a gripe with how the U.S. and the school system, um, like with their how they they operate their athletic seasons and sports because the problem, like I had an athlete that plays football and baseball and he's phenomenal at both. Um, I actually think he's, he was always saying he wanted to play baseball in college, but I think he's a better football player than baseball. That's no here nor there. But um, I think, you know, he played football for a school, which should be like, you know, applauded and should be a good thing but he got penalized by the baseball coach at his school for not playing fall ball.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay,
1: like, and that, and then you're telling kids not to specialize. So mm-hmm. it's like, like, we can't do both. And this is, this might be a, just a, a mainly U S thing, but like, how are you going to rag on a kid and, and, and criticize him for and punish him for representing the school in a different sport? instead of playing fall baseball, that means absolutely jack shit. (laughs) Like (laughs) nobody cares about it. Like, come on, like baseball's in the spring, like kids need to be able to go through each season and Mm like, but like, and that's the problem. A lot of high school coaches, you know, will use that against them if they don't play the extra fall season or, you know, aren't there for optional workouts. And it's like, Mm -hmm. if, you know, it's one thing if you're not there for optional workouts and you're not doing anything else, Mm-hmm. But it's another thing if you're at football practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually. Like, because I, I try yes. to think about this from the coach's perspective, because I feel right. like every coach is like, well, I want to make sure my athletes, like, they're showing up to practice, that they're doing, like, right. what they can and should be doing in order to be the best that they can be in this sport. Right. So, like, to a certain extent, I kind of understand that perspective. But I feel, again, if they don't have the information of, like, kids at young ages, at least under the age of 16, playing multiple sports is actually better for their overall athletic performance. Like, I think if you teach coaches these things and like, if they're not taught them, one, why are they not being taught these things?
1: Right, exactly. But to
0: understand that this is actually going to be better for them in the long run. So like, don't penalize them for it, like applaud them for it and just be happy that you have athletes that are passionate enough to be here day in and day out.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a twofold problem. Like, you know, so that's why I always have the trouble saying like, don't specialize because like, like it's my suggestion as a consultant, and as a specialist, not to specialize, to, to, tell kids not to specialize, but also like, I understand that a lot of kids get, you know, um, punished or, you know, coaches will be passive aggressive because they didn't show up to something. And if they feel like they need to show up to that because of that, you know, that's not their fault.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So I think it's a, it's a lot, like you said, it's a lot about coach education too, Mm
0: -hmm. but then
1: it's all, you know, it all goes back to bringing in quality professionals and under like, you know, you're gonna, a lot of what I see in, especially in the U S is schools will spend thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars on facilities, but they won't invest anything in what, who the, who the person is running that facility. Mm -hmm. or who the person is um, operating that facility and, and educating people. And I think like people, they need to invest in people way more than places um, and way more than facilities um, because that facility, you know, isn't going to, isn't going to do much if the the kids aren't educated.
0: Well, and if the coaches aren't educated, the kids aren't going to be getting like the, the best attention that they deserve either. Right. So like, I think you, I think you make a really good point there and like, I feel like not enough places invest in their coaches. I think back to some of, like, when I was younger, for example, I remember most of my coaches in the youth level, like, they were my teammates' dads. I don't know how right. qualified they were to actually be coaching us. Like, I don't know. hundred Maybe they were certified, or maybe there was not any certifications at that point. I have no right. idea. But I didn't right. have an actual, like, Good and I, okay. This is like no shade to any of the youth coaches no. that I had, but like I didn't have any real solid like goaltending coach until I was in yeah. junior with a reputable Crazy. organization. Like up until that point, I had like really awesome dads on the team people. that were like, yeah, yeah they're people. just yeah. like oh, like here, let me help you out with this. Or like, you know, like kind of give me like those little pep talks and stuff. And honestly, like those definitely go a long way. Like me at a young age for sure needed to have that. And I really appreciate the fact that someone was willing to go that extra mile when it wasn't even expected of them. But that does not take away from my point of like, we need to make sure that the people in the youth organizations especially are educated properly that way right. if you want to be producing like i mean that's like kind of the point right like you want your kids to have fun but the point of the organization is because we want to like pump out kids who can actually play the sport whether that's baseball hockey football soccer it does not matter that's right. that's that's the goal of of the organization as well so for sure you, for if, sure if you need yeah. coaches it's good
1: right yeah i but i so it's crazy because i think the word coach um, anybody thinks they can be a coach and that's like you know not everybody thinks they can be a dentist not everybody thinks they can be a, a financial <laughs> advisor but like yeah. and it's like coach is a term where like anybody can wear that hat apparently mm-hmm. Um, and for some like that means no sort of education or certifications and like I think experience is is second to none and it's super crucial but there is something to be said about uh, seeking out education and knowing that you that someone took the time to educate themselves and learn more about how to bet how to be a better coach or how to be better at the position Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah that the whole coaching space in general is (laughs) uh, it's pretty convoluted in that sense I think crazy Uh, I think in once you get to the higher levels of course it's much more regulated so especially when it comes to like actually sports specific type coaching
1: exactly Um,
0: but for for the most part like anything in the i mean you go on social figures. media
1: everybody's a coach
0: exactly exactly 100
1: <laughs> hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Tune in on February 11th for the big game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. I can go on about this forever, but I want to kind of pull, pull back the reins a little bit. Yeah. So you had mentioned that you were diagnosed with OCD at a very young age. So can you kind of like not explore, but like kind of explain what that process was like, like what you had to kind of endure during that time. And, and you said that there's quite a few, I don't know if it was myths or like misunderstandings or misconceptions about what OCD is. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um yeah so i mean you know as a kid i was sh- i was struggling in school um never was never a good student I mean, honestly i wasn't a great student until my masters degree but um i you know just would always be struggling and just um was socially just uh struggling as well and just um you know when I got to my freshman year of high school, I think is when the, the actual OCD symptoms really came out. Um, I have a comorbid diagnosis, so I have OCD and ADHD. Um, and so, um, you know, I think OCD initially, it became so debilitating when I was a freshman in high school. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, it, it's, you know, that's 10 year, 12, 13 years ago, I think it definitely, in the past 10 years has become better in terms of education and stigma around OCD. But, you know, 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I had no idea what I was going through, you know, until I got the help until I, you know, was got to such a low point. And, um, OCD makes you feel isolated. It makes you feel like you're going crazy. Um, that, you know, because the whole basis around OCD is you have a, a, a lack of a, a certain uh, of serotonin in your brain and, or you have you know a, a lack of a chemical in your brain and, and it causes that you know fight or flight to be um elevated all the time and be on all the time and you and in return the what you get with OCD is obsessions and compulsions the obsessions are intrusive thoughts that you know are so disturbing that you're like I can't believe I'm even thinking about this so when you don't know like that it's diagnosed OCD and you and you and you're not you don't have the help yet and you haven't been tested yet it's like you know you think you're like a terrible person and mm-hmm. you think like you, because you can decipher that the thoughts are super wrong and super irrational and you don't want them but they feel real enough that they pull you in and, and keep you in an anxiety loop all all day mm-hmm. um, and so you know for a while you know I'll, you know I'll share some of my thoughts so like I have a lot of my intrusive thoughts are centered around like um like just losing control and hurting somebody mm-hmm. and like i would never ever do that all right but if i said that out loud somebody would be like arrest this man right mm-hmm. they'd be like who the hell is it? like make somebody somebody you know check him in to the hospital like he's he's insane right mm-hmm. but when you have ocd like those thoughts are super common and it doesn't mean you're going to act on them and it's and it's it's not like a it's like a real thought it's an irrational th- it's one of your intrusive thoughts mm-hmm. um another example would be like i was i was always definitely afraid um that my uh parents would die in a car accident and it felt so real ever anytime they'd go out like i'd i'd be absolutely paranoid mm-hmm. um, my brother was in school at the time at michigan so he was flying back and forth home. And when he would come visit and same thing for him, I was worried his plane would go down and I would do every, I would check the airlines and, you know, is the updates on the plane over and over again mm-hmm. until he reached his destination. But, um, with the intrusive thoughts, the way OCD wants you to cope with them is the compulsions. So compulsions could be mental, like counting and, um, you know, doing things in multiples or, you know, for me, like my, my safe number was five. So I would do... I mean, at first it was fourteen and it kind of changed over time. So I would do things in fourteens. Now I do things in fives. Why? I don't know. Just a number I you know I that my mind chose. Mm-hmm. Um and so you get stuck in feeding these these obsessive thoughts with using the coping mechanisms that your compulsions provide and it ends up taking hours and hours and hours of your day away. Um, you know, at my worst I was doing about fourteen hours of compulsions a day. So you know, you think about that, right? 14 hours, you got, that means you have 10 hours to do everything else in your life, 10 hours to sleep, 10 hours to, um, to sleep, play sports, have a social life, get academic work done. Um, any like sort of extracurricular I did outside of sports, 10 hours, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the day to get that, to get those things done. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. right? Right. Um, and that at that at that point I was pretty much like you know housebound and just a, a a mess you know I didn't see the point in living, um and didn't see the the a a life that was that was worth it to me and um you know that's when I finally was like mom I need help like I'm gonna kill myself like I I I I I need help, mm-hmm. um and I mean I can't imagine what it was like to hear that as a parent, um you know. I don't think I've truly reflected on that until like the past couple of years is like, man, that's, that is like, you know, that is the one, that is one of the only things you don't want to hear as a parent, you know, mm-hmm. like that is super, super tough. Um, so my, you know, my dad and mom were give, give, deserved their flowers for, and my brother for the way they supported me and it was not easy for them. And there were a lot of rough spots in that um, where our family could have crumbled for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. And so I'm, I'm super fortunate for that, but uh, essentially like, the The therapy that you, OCD therapy is super, super specialized. So it's exposure response therapy. It's a form of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And um, essentially what saved me was the ERP and the, the combination of ERP therapy and, and medication. Um, and the the therapy is essentially facing your intrusive thought head on and accepting the reality that it could happen And sitting with the discomfort of that until it wears off. So initially, you know, you make a hierarchy of like what, what thought would be the toughest to, to, to deal with, like in that, in that manner. And, you know, I'd have to sit with the anxiety of maybe my parents might die. We don't know, but I'm not going to let OCD take my whole day away because of it. And it, you know, it was like, it's like literally facing, staring fear directly in the face every single session, of um you know i would be throwing up i was so anxious about it um but then over time what it does is is desensitizes you to the thoughts and and gives you a way to cope with the anxiety of like knowing because once you prove to yourself that the thought didn't happen and that um you know you waited over time and the anxiety decreased now you can apply it to your everyday life when you're when you're trying to battle those obsessions and compulsions but it's like Like I still go to treatment, you know, once a week and I still am on medication. Like it's it's the maintenance aspect is super, super important too. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a lot to unpack here in in just a short time. So, okay, like one of the things that like really stuck out to me was, okay, you said like it was in in repetitions of 14, which like over time switched to five. Now, do you think because of the therapy that you were kind of going through, that's part of the reason why that number maybe changed to something smaller because you would become maybe a bit more uh, comfortable or like accepting Um, of everything or no?
1: I think it was actually just um, my, your brain selects, so there's a million different subtypes of like what OCD can manifest as, but the general, um, you know, the general thing is that it always attacks everything you love. Like it's not going to affect, it's not going to ha- send you intrusive thought. Your brain's not going to, when you have OCD, your brain's not going to send you intrusive thoughts about something you don't care about because then you're not going to engage in the compulsions and feed that, that anxiety cycle that, mm-hmm. that OCD monster wants you to feed. Um, So 14 was, was, uh, my high school basketball number. So that's probably why I chose that one. And then five, um, I've always, well, I always love the number five. I don't know why, but like, it was like, a, um, it might be because of like being neurodivergent, just like the, the, the way it looks, the way it feels like that was, that was always like one of my safe numbers. So like, Mm -hmm. I think it's more so like how my brain was wrapped around those numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, what therapy did help me was with, was, not doing things in those numbers and and living with the uncertainty of one of my intrusive thoughts happening, or you know um you know going about my day with knowing that I didn't um engage in those behaviors um mm-hmm. because they can be super super detrimental um mm-hmm. and you know a lot of them could be could be super harmful too um you know i I think about like i've you know when i was I've been in positions where you know, I've self harmed and had to do it in in multiples, right? And then if you can't stop, what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when it gets super super dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, it, um, you know, as a while ago, but I think it's super super important to hi- highlight that that it could be dangerous behaviors too. So I think um, it's it's tough to to grasp. And obviously, like when I set when I tell people I have OCD, and it's gotten so much better. And obviously, I'm super public about it. I mean, like if you search, like I'm never out like out of that spotlight now because if you search ocd my name that's the first thing that comes up right the way i've advocated and, and be, been a public speaker about it mm-hmm. um you know at conferences and schools and stuff and on my podcast so i think it definitely is um provided that awareness around like ocd isn't just some like you're not just washing your hands or or being mm-hmm. or you you don't like things in a straight line um you know like that's that's what people think ocd is but like it's super debilitating and not not that right there's there's sometimes in intru- uh compulsions of, around hand washing mm-hmm. and some of the people that I know that that do those that have those type of compulsions what what's advertised uh, in the media what these people go through is 10 times worse they're washing their hands so they fucking bleed yeah right and it's mm-hmm. and like that's what people need to realize like it's not enjoyable nothing about having ocd is enjoyable right mm-hmm. you'll see like chloe kardashian for example like we'll be like oh like here's my OCD clean series, and like I'm I'm gonna organize my closet today, mm-hmm. and she's like so happy to be organizing her closet. Nobody that's doing that with OCD is enjoying that mm-hmm. because they're having intrusive thoughts that their family's gonna die in a car accident, and if they don't do this, it's like you're being held hostage.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you don't do something, you know you're gonna lose people you love, or you're gonna, or something bad's gonna happen in your life, like the if you don't do something. So it's like being held hostage by your brain. Um, so like that's what what people really understand is that like it's like saying someone with bipolar disorder likes that to have different moods like nobody likes that they don't i I didn't choose this Yeah, yeah right exactly so um you know a big big thing for me has been trying to to educate and just lead with that awareness and lead with education and you know a lot of early on it was tough because it was like, I was frustrated that people didn't understand. But then I also just realized like, it's innocent ignorance, man. Like mm-hmm. it's been like this way for so long of of being stigmatized in the media mm-hmm. that now we have to flip the script and just edu- educate and there's a chance like the awareness of it and and the education portion and, and the de-stigmatiz- like, the destigmatization of it won't even be done by the time I'm not on this earth, right? Like it takes mm-hmm. gener- like a generation, years to- to make that sustainable change for, for a disorder. It's not going to happen overnight. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but that's what I want my legacy to be is, is that, you know, I change the way people look at it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's enlightening what you just said. And honestly, like what I'm, what I'm about to say probably does not even compare to like what you just described, but I feel like, like you were saying, you know, like in, in media, they misportray like what this actually mm-hmm. is. And like when people say, oh, like that's like, I have OCD about like these things. It's like, right. it feels good to do these things, be- but like, like it needs to be done that way. Right. But, right. and I'm only saying this now because like, I watch Big Bang Theory a lot and yeah. like Sheldon, for example, like yeah. he always knocks three times, like has to knock three yeah. times. And if not, like he gets like, like shaking like anxious about it And yeah. there's like i remember one episode where he was saying like when i don't do these things like it makes me feel like i want to like claw the skin off of my face yeah
1: you want to crawl like, out of your skin
0: not, it's not honestly enjoyable.
1: big bang theory is actually like like i like how they represented his ocd like that was one of the the, the few shows and like portrayals that i was like man like this actually like could educate some people like this is like not a bad portrayal of ocd comparatively to other other things you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like like so i i I totally resonate with that like but it is that feeling of like that uncomfortability you have to sit with um in that in in treatment is like unbelievable when you when you you first start to and that's why you know the the addition of medication with anxiety and that's that's also another misconception is that there's ssri's people think ssris and taking medication is going to stop ocd it doesn't it mm-hmm. just is a, a way to to Use alleviate the anxiety, anxiety. in a process right you know um so it's but yeah it's it's super misrepresented and it's nice that it's it's always refreshing when there is a an accurate representation of it
0: Hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and i like that you mentioned right now where like the medication doesn't like change how I'm how I'm feeling like it lessens the anxiety but it doesn't take away everything that I'm experiencing right I'm still having these thoughts mm -hmm. and and I feel like that it's the same with so many other like uh, mental health issues right like so for example when I think to my own experience like I had some pretty bad anxiety when I was at university for Mm. example and I like let it get way out of hand to the point where it was like if i received like a negative text message from someone like it was triggered and i was like shaking crying like could not focus on anything which is like very very anxious until i had like a concrete understanding of what was going on and so mm-hmm. got really bad to the point where it's like hey like i need to see a doctor go to the doctors like yeah like he, you're kind of like off the chart in terms of what what your results are here so like we have to get you right. medication ended up put me on the highest dose and sure like it alleviated some of that anxiety but the root cause of that anxiety like it didn't take away from everything that I was experiencing like I don't know how else to explain it because I had to work through something like internally like a block like mentally and emotionally before right. that anxiety was no longer there so like right. of course some people do have like chronic lifetime sort of anxieties this one was yeah. something that was caused by my environment and right. because i was not dealing with some of my internal problems right. it was getting right. worse and worse and worse and because i wasn't leaving that environment that's why it was yeah. so so debilitating at that time for sure now looking back of course like I have like twenty twenty hindsight you know like I, I, I understand everything but at the moment like you know, I was going through I, was, I don't understand what's going on why is this happening to me I'd like wake up in the middle of the night like just panicked all of a sudden like right no no purpose no reason behind it really just because and yeah. I feel like that's not the worst feeling too. yeah and it's not necessarily like the whole problem with western medicine because i'm i'm not the person to take away from the impact that medication can have for people who do suffer from some of these more debilitating health issues but a lot of the times it's because we're not dealing with shit inside and we're letting it build up build up and then you're just basically trying to put a band-aid on a bullet hole you know like it doesn't work that way
1: right yeah right right exactly and i so when people ask me about like that's why i always lead with erp the combination of erp and medication save my life mm-hmm. um but erp first mm-hmm. the treat the because that is ha- that's rewiring your brain that's yeah. that's the what that's learning how to that's learning coping methods that's you know learning how to manage your emotions and you I, like that that's way more it's way more work right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. way more work on yourself and people are scared of that it's out of your comfort zone yeah. but yeah, that's the only way you really see that unbelievable improvement
0: mm-hmm. yeah well, like you, you really you, want to take back, back work. your work mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like there for the long term like, like you're right. rewiring it for the rest right. of your life optimally. to be able to cope
1: for the rest of my life to be able to have a life that's worth living
0: mm-hmm. yeah exactly wow I'm, su- I'm super happy that we're having this conversation that's I'm happy to like be able to bring this type of information to people because honestly like had we never talked and had we never met like I would maybe have also been very like ignorant to the fact that like this is not necessarily what people are experiencing the way right yeah definitely
1: I mean like my you know my mom and dad are the biggest advocates now and we'll always call people out like My mom will probably be in a grocery store line. Like if she heard someone say, I'm so OCD, she's going to turn around and like educate them. And Mm -hmm. I love that about her. It's awesome. But like they would even admit, like they probably used the term I'm so OCD before I had, before we knew what it was. And before I went through all of this, Mm -hmm. before I was diagnosed, because that's how it was portrayed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But now it's time to, to break the perception and enlighten the world as to what this actually is. Yeah,
1: right exactly
0: and so i know was it in the beginning of december you had a competition and when we had last spoke you said that you were not allowed to take your medication
1: yeah this is actually really really good timing because uh yeah so i um you know regional meets that are that are not national and set up by the governing body like the iwf and the and usaw like i, I could take my medication and i won't be tested or anything but um you know one of my medications ssri is, is clear um they don't like that's that's totally allowed and then the other one is adderall um which is a stimulant and they stimulants are banned um mm-hmm. in, in in competition so you have to get a, a therapy a therapeutic use exemption from the usada the, the us uh doping agency or anti-doping agency and um, the process is extensive. Um, mm-hmm. but it's super ironic that we're talking today because, um, after my third time of sending it in and, and them asking for more information, it actually got approved on Wednesday, but, um, which is awesome. Awesome. um, that being said, you know, I competed without it at my first national competition and, um, relapsed pretty hard two weeks before i was off it i was off my met my adderall and i couldn't i just it was you know it's something you, when something's prescribed for you to function daily mm-hmm. and then they take it away like yeah i mean the withdrawal was insane you know so it was like um it was probably the hardest competition i've ever done um it was a combination of one being on the national stage for the first time mm-hmm. um and being on a national platform and then two like training and lifting and, and competing without medication that I, that I use daily to function. It's not like it's something that I'm like, sometimes I want to take, it's something that I literally am medically prescribed by a psychiatrist every day. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I, I compete in the adaptive division. I'm an adaptive athlete. Um, and I think like, I wanted to highlight that whole process, mainly again, because of education, like you're going to push people away from even trying to compete if they have to go off their meds, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and I have a deep appreciation for what the USADA does to keep the sport clean, I think it's Mm -hmm. awesome. And it's, you know, it's a driving force behind why the sports going to remain in the Olympics. But if you're trying to level the playing field and, and make an adaptive division for people with disabilities. How are you gonna take away what they need?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's okay. like
1: it's like, so you're trying to level the playing field, but then you're also gonna make me be at a disadvantage. Doesn't, doesn't add up, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously I tagged them in a lot of Instagram stories. I, you know, I kind of went at them, right? And it's, you know, it's it wasn't anything um, you know, personal really. It was just about the fact that like, you know, my mind goes to 16 year old me that got my athletic career taken away from me. And there I was probably not going to compete again nationally, just because it was so hard to be off my meds. Mm -hmm. And then I think about all the athletes that are going through the same damn thing, because it's not just me, right? It's bigger than me. So like, my mind goes to advocating for everybody else that goes through that has to go through that, or or that throws in the towel and isn't as persistent as me to get that to because Mm -hmm. They think it's going to be impossible. Um, And, you know, there's, there's some things that, you know, I brought up that, aren't allowed like asking for session notes and, and certain things. So I think highlighting that and, um, you know, but it's, it's ironic because it was, it was approved last week. And then, um, uh, Tammy, uh, Hanson, who's the elite education director, um, was phenomenal today and actually calling me and asking for feedback, um, which I like was, I mean, I can't thank her enough. And I think that was like, um, Really, really important that she acknowledged like she wants to make the process better and mm-hmm. um you know so it was it was really cool being able to you know the the process was traumatizing and it was it was really tough being off my meds, but it's really cool that they're try they're trying to understand where I'm coming from and like how to make they want to make the process better
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's always nice to see like a governing body trying to like, right. make positive changes, and I do think that's sometimes the issue with governing bodies like this is like it does take a long time to change these processes because it has to probably go through a board first and make like a a board decision and they have to do a lot of like background research on on all of these things and I think it's really unfortunate that like you had to send this in like three times and I think it's even more unfortunate that you had to go through the process of competing on a national stage for the first time without having that type of Like medication that you need to have every day so you feel like yourself so you you don't feel the way that we we just described in terms of you know like having to go through that that whole thinking process like that's right that's so difficult in and of itself um i i can't i honestly can't even imagine and i and it's so true like even just probably being off those meds for a day or two can impact like a whole week afterwards if not longer like my right, dad, exactly. my dad was I mean, I think old. about like my, same my work
1: week beforehand was like, just, I was unproductive. I was anxious. I was, you know, falling into compulsions. It was just, it was a mess, mm-hmm. you know, and then you, you drive out 12 hours to Wilmington to compete. And it's like, or like, I'm not even, I'm not at my best, mm-hmm. but my best is required, which is like, the, that's always going to be, um, it's always going to be the most frustrating thing is like, how can I be my best when I'm when my best is required and without the meds you know it's it's not to say I can't I I couldn't do it but like that takes a a big toll on you
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and like like I said my dad was was bipolar and when when he got like on on like a high or something like this like he would Mm -hmm. feel like you know, so grandiose and like I can do anything and I right. could basically like run through a wall and not get hurt. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the kind of that's like how he reacted to it. And and right. bi- with bipolar obviously it's like a very different circumstance and there's for sure very different types of bipolar. So for him it was like, you know, you go on a high for three months and then go on a low for three months. So it's like you're experiencing right. like the most extreme types of behavior. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, and it's it's crazy. And like you know, he'd just be like, Oh, I feel pretty good. Like, I'm not gonna go on my meds. <laughs> yeah. Fuck no. Like, yes, you can take <laughs> yeah. your meds. Yes, like you absolutely, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. and so like to think that like athletes who are competing at such a high level, like I understand like you're saying, like having to go through a process, like it is a stimulant, but when it's actually like medically prescribed right. for you, like
1: Exactly. That's crazy. Like, what's what's the point of a licensed professional? It- if we're not going to believe them
0: mm-hmm. and like, like asking for session notes that's huge no-no right that's all confidential that's, like why are you guys yeah that? exactly
1: you want me to just send these to somebody i'd never met in my life somebody Crazy. i I know I, I don't know that i can trust like that mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense
0: yeah and like they don't know context of whatever that's like written on these notes anyway right, so like right. getting one session worth of notes like what is that actually telling you
1: do for that right exactly crazy exactly great uh, well i think it's yes.
0: great that they stepped up and they said like we want to improve this and i'm i think it's yeah. good that you got to be part of that process because you are such a big advocate for leveling the playing field in this right in and this i was sense. like
1: don't like don't like just like take my feedback and run away with it like i want to help like i'm here to help you know mm-hmm. like i don't you know i'm i'm, I'm here to, to to contribute however i can
0: And that's awesome. And I think it's so good for all the other athletes, whether they're older or younger, who are going to go through a similar process. Like it's, you want it to be easier for other people. And like, that's kind of how I feel in terms of like doing the mental coaching too, right? Like I went through things that I don't, I don't know. I feel like I went through the hard way a lot of the time and I want to be able to make sure that I can like utilize my own experience to make someone else's a little bit easier at the very least.
1: Right, right.
0: Like that's the least you can do. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so I feel like I I don't even necessarily need to ask this question because I've, I've gotten quite a bit of context from our whole conversation, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway, just to get like the direct answer. So, you know, what is it that really makes you a passionate advocate for mental health in athletes? Yeah. How do you apply um... that to your own training with your athletes?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the fact that um, it's so easy to for me to th- to think about where I was um, and how, you know, it was almost too late for me. It was almost, you know, I didn't, I, I felt hopeless. I felt isolated and I just don't want anybody else to feel like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if we don't treat the athlete as a human being, you're in danger of losing both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what people need to realize, like they're, they're human beings. So, um, connection is just, you know, our gift to the world. And, and I love connecting with people. I think, um, you know, when I, when I think about like what I want my, my legacy to be, it's just how many people, how many people did I positively impact? You know, Mm -hmm. how many, how many lives did I change before I left this earth? Right. And that's like, you know, it's not, you know, the, the purpose isn't monetary for me. You know obviously it's nice to to it's cool to have nice things and and cool to 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 feel secure but like the purpose is my purpose is serving others um mm-hmm. it always has been and it always will be um so I think that's definitely as as long as you know you know i always say passion can burn out but purpose drives you forever um and if you have your your purpose you're you know use that as your north star.
0: I love that I love that so much i'm gonna use that for myself yeah definitely awesome well. I mean, we've been talking a lot about mental health, specifically OCD, a little ADHD. Uh, For anyone who is listening, do you have any sort of like resources that you would recommend being obviously this experience yourself?
1: Definitely. Uh, I mean, iocdf.org is the International OCD Foundation's hub for all resources um, regarding finding treatment, regarding uh, information about what OCD is. um, And uh, it's just you know, you're going to find everything you need there. So, um, definitely would, uh, would go to iocdf.org.
0: Okay, perfect. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, they can just quickly drop down and and go and take a look if they feel that it might be a a good resource for them to uh, explore a little bit further.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, my website is struggleandthestrength.com. And so, um, I have a bunch of mental health resources attached to a a tab there too, um, that Mm -hmm. could also direct them to, to the iocdf as well.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So I can link that too. And that like kind of leads me into, you know, the, the final closing statements for this episode. So, uh, obviously it's been really great to have you here, Tom. I'm super happy that we finally got a chance to do this and shed some light on the mental health, more specifically in OCD, uh, I think it's, it's really great what you're doing and everything that you have going on. So all that being said, like, it's really important that our listeners are able to be able to contact you if they have questions or they want to talk or anything like this. So uh, feel free to drop all your information now. And I can link everything in the show notes afterwards.
1: Yeah. My Instagram is I'm super active on Instagram. My Instagram's at iron T smalls. And, um, you know, my I'll, I'll send you my email if you want to um if you want to link that too so i'm uh there's also a contact form on my website um so i'm always available um i always try to get back to people within you know 24 hours so um you know whatever i can do to to help make that change that's what i'm trying to do